Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. We want to welcome those on listening on live stream today. It's so good to have you here as well. And we know that God's going to bless you in a powerful way. Turn with me today to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19. I've got a two-part series on walking in the blessing of God. This month is the month where we're talking about the blessed life. And uh, it's God's intention that you live under so much blessing that you can't contain it. Okay. Does anyone agree with that? Good, good. So I'm going to cut this sermon into two parts. Uh, Ben is preaching next week and it's going to be an amazing time. I'm really looking forward to that. Then I'll be back again the following week. So let's read this passage. I'm going to unpack it. It's going to change your life. If you are struggling with finances, with getting ahead, with understanding how the kingdom works, this will change your life. Okay? If you're here, if you listen. Isaiah 1.19 says, If you are willing and obedient. Willing and obedient. Willing and obedient. You will eat the good, the best of the land. That word land literally means the world. In other words, if you are willing to walk and be blessed by God, how many people are willing? You've got to be willing. So you've got to be, I'll talk about it the following week, you've got to be willing to live under his favour and you have to be willing to say, or willing to say, I am not willing to have poverty and lack in my life. You have to refuse it. It's actually a spiritual thing where you've got to say, lack and poverty, you don't belong in my life anymore. Yep. Do I get an amen? amen? Well, some people may like that, but I don't. The, see, poverty is under the curse. Yep. Galatians 3, Jesus died to redeem you from the curse. Yep. Deuteronomy 28 says that the curse came and it brought poverty and sickness and disease and death. Yep. Jesus came to deliver you from the curse. So you've got to be willing to say, I'm willing to live under God's favour, because some people aren't. Some people have embraced all sorts of religious ideas, but I'm not willing to live without. And that's how you have to be. I'm not willing to live another day without. It's a stand that you take. Having done all to stand, you stand. Right, so that's next week, two weeks' time. But I want to talk to you today about the obedience part, so you can eat or partake of the best of the world. And I want that. I want the best. See, the Bible teaches us that the world belongs to the Lord and it's his good pleasure to bless us. He says he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his people. It's God's desire. So we're going to unpack that today about what it means to walk in obedience when it comes to giving. And this is going to bless you. Two things that I want to unpack today. So if you're taking notes, number one, what does it mean to walk in obedience, the first thing is this. We must prepare the altar. Write that down. We must prepare the altar. Abraham, our father of the faith, he was known for this. He was an altar builder. We know there's famous stories of him sacrificing already prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac. He was an altar builder. Altars are a place where promises 
and vows are made, where commitments are made to God, where God speaks to us, He instructs us, He tells us His plan for our life, and then we, in response, make a commitment back to Him. That's what an altar is. And Abraham built altar after altar before the Lord. Have you read Genesis? That's what he did. So the altar is a picture of our heart. And God's saying that he wants us to be obedient when we come to give to the Lord. Altars are a place or a picture of our heart. And we are to prepare the altar when we come to give. So a lot of people just give randomly. Well, chuck a $10 or $20 or 20 cents, whatever it might be. But that's not the way God wants us to give. He wants us to be blessed. And now we must follow the way of obedience so we'll be blessed. So the first thing we have to do is prepare this altar in response to our commitment towards God. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 23, verse 16, and I'll explain this. Now, I want you to remember this statement. You ready? The purity of the altar is what sanctifies the gift. Listen again. The purity of the altar is what sanctifies the gift. Let's say it another way. Listen carefully. The purity of your heart is what sanctifies the gift. An impure heart and the gift won't be sanctified. So God says, I want you to come in obedience to me when you give. And I want you to sanctify your heart before you give your offering. Because the purity of the altar is what sanctifies the gift. Right, let's read. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For what is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Who is the temple? That wasn't a trick question. Who are the temple? Yeah. So he says, who is greater... The gold or the money or the temple that sanctifies the gold. You sanctify your gift. Your heart is what sanctifies the gift when you come before God. Right? Verse 18. Whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, they said. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. In other words, elevating the gift over the altar. Fools and blind, for what is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? This is what Jesus is asking. Which is more important, your heart or what you give? He's asking you. He says in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Listen, justice, mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he's not saying don't pay your tithe. He's saying get your heart in order. What is most important is that when you come before the Lord, your heart is prepared before him in obedience to him. The heart, the altar sanctifies the gift. I'm going to show you today that when we give, it's a big, big deal. My conviction is this, that the majority of the church have no idea what happens 
when you give according to God's plan. How do I know? Well, not in this church, of course, but in many places, people get offended when you talk about money or else they're indifferent about their money. They don't realize the power spiritually, which I'm going to show, of what happens not just here, but do you know what? This city and its destiny and the ability to unlock strongholds is directly tied to the way that we give. I'm going to show you. So we're praying, we're doing all these things to bring change to our city, not understanding one of the primary ways that God breaks into a city is through our giving. Really? Yeah, really. That's what God teaches in his word. I'll show you in a minute. Hang in there. So we make the gift greater than the altar that sanctifies the gift. And Jesus said, if you think like that, you're a fool and you're blind and you've got no idea about the kingdom. Big words, aren't they? Strong words. So the condition of our heart is more important than the size of our gift. The altar sanctifies the gift. It separates it from what is profane and it makes it holy. So when I bring my offering, what sanctifies my offering and makes it holy is my heart. The altar sanctifies the gift. The gift doesn't sanctify the altar. I grew up thinking that it was the other way around. In fact, and I have to be careful how I put this in context, but there were people that everybody knew their hearts were wrong. The, the greatest thief and robber and, you know, did everything underhanded, but he tithed or they tithed. And then the Christians would say, look, God even blesses those that act wrong, but they have the principle of tithing. Really? It's not what Jesus says. He says, the gift can only be sanctified by the altar. So we're saying it's, the gift is more important than the altar. So it doesn't matter how you, how you live. It doesn't matter about your heart towards the Lord. It doesn't matter whether you understand the principle of giving. As long as you give, you'll be blessed. That is not what Jesus teaches. Not what he teaches. He says it's the altar that sanctifies the gift. So if we put our gift on the altar of the half-hearted, it won't be sanctified. You know, short pockets, sorry, long pockets and short hands. It's like <laughs> crime because it's gone. Right through the scripture, the Bible talks about giving with a merry heart, not giving under compulsion, about preparing your heart. Imagine if... If Abraham had came to the, to the altar to sacrifice his son, and was like, oh, if I have to, I don't really want to do it, but if I have to. Imagine. Imagine if God had done that when he sacrificed his son on the altar. Well, I really don't want to. All these people, they don't deserve to be saved, but all right, if I have to. Yeah, I guess it is my plan. I'll do it reluctantly. No, for God so loved the world. That he gave, his heart was one of, of just wanting to bless us. This is a whole story about the widow and the might. It's kingdom economics. How could a woman give more than all the rich? Because of her heart. She gave all that she had because 
her heart was all his. If she had had too much, she would have given them both. Jesus wasn't focusing on the gift. He was focusing on the altar. It wasn't that the rich men hadn't given enough. It's their heart wasn't his. The altar sanctifies the gift. Are you getting this? Oh, it gets better. Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember today that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. God's saying this, I don't want your money if you've got an ugly heart. I don't want it. He says, leave your gift there, go and be reconciled and come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you to the officer and you'll be thrown in prison. I tell you, you will not get out to pay the last penny. Our finances, listen, they carry a statement of our heart to heaven. The way we give, the attitude, the condition of our heart carries a statement all the way to the throne room. It's, there's a message. Abel's gift cried out. When we give today, there is a message that follows that gift all the way to heaven and either condemns us or justifies us. Either allows the enemy to do what he wants in our life or allows God to favor us and bless us. So if we bring our offerings with uncleanness and unforgiveness and just ratty hearts and angry hearts and resistant hearts, it tells us here that we give the wrong testimony in heaven. This is what happened with Cornelius. Acts 10 verse 3. Remember the story? It says your prayer and your giving has made its way all the way up to heaven as a memorial. And God's got off his throne and said, what's going on here? There's somebody giving with great faith. There's someone that is giving and his heart is wholly mine. I've got to do something about it. We are here today because a man gave like that. Do you understand the connection between how you give and the impact you have right around the world? Yeah, it's just me. I'm just giving. It's just me giving at Hope City Church. How could that make a difference? Cornelius. He gave. And because he gave in obedience with a pure heart, God blessed him and the Gentiles came into the kingdom. Are you getting this? God was stirred into action by the sound and memorial of his offering in heaven. It was releasing a testimony in heaven. So when I give, when I prepare my heart, and I pray this prayer when I give him my tithes and offerings, and I, I make him Lord of my life, I prophesy over my offering, over my life, and I give him glory. I make him Lord and tell him, this is great pleasure for me to do this. I worship you. That is going up before heaven and it's creating an audience with God, a testimony. And he says, I see that and I will second it. And I will begin to decree over you what I see over your life. But when my heart is not right with God, when it's out of reluctance or compulsion, or when, it, when I am ugly towards everyone else around me, my offerings are bringing the wrong testimony before God. It is a big deal to get your altar right. 
Get that right first. Well, I tithe, good on you. That's good. But get your heart right. Get your heart in alignment with the kingdom of God, with his heart, his agenda, his purpose. And then when you do that, that altar will sanctify the gift and make it holy and set apart. That's a big deal. Malachi chapter 3, turn to that. Amazing chapter. So we focus on the end of this chapter. But Malachi 3, Malachi prophesies that there is a Messiah coming. His name is Jesus. And he's going to come with a purging fire. Ouch. A refiner's fire. And it says he's doing that in order. Listen, Jesus comes with purging refiner's fire in order that you and I can give our offerings in righteousness. So if one of the purposes of Jesus coming and sending forth his refining fire to his church, he's burning even today. I say, God, burning me. Burn out all the wrong agendas, burn out all the wrong concepts and burn into my heart total loyalty to you and your kingdom. Does anyone else pray that prayer? Anybody here? Either the fire of God comes and burns out the rubbish or will come and burn eventually and destroy all that you've built. So, so he says this refiner's fire is coming. And it says, so we can offer offerings in righteousness. Now listen to this. Righteousness and generosity are from the same Hebrew root word. Zedek, which is on the screen, is it here? Equals righteousness. Zedakah is the word for generosity. They both come from the same Hebrew root word. And the fire comes to burn in our hearts so we would offer offerings in righteousness or generosity. This word zedakah, the last two letters are A-H, and it literally means to reveal or behold. So in other words, when we live righteously before the world, they will behold our generosity. Well, I'm a righteous person. Well, for the world to see our righteousness, it will be displayed in untold generosity to the world. We are to be the most generous people in all of the world. Woo! Come on! All right, I know I need to preach this now. Listen to this, Matthew 25. We'll get back to Malachi 3. There were five foolish virgins. And do you know what their problem was? They carried no oil. But do you know what the Jews teach? They teach that the Hebrew version of this story in in Matthew is that they took no, guess ready, zedakah. They took no generosity with them. That's what they define the word oil. It's actually generosity. Isn't that interesting? So this parable precludes it, 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 the, the sheep and the goat, and now the, the analogy of the sheep and the goat nations. So he's saying that these five foolish virgins, they had not trimmed their, their, their lamps and they had no generosity. And God was saying, and a warning to us, that the division between what is his and not his is those that are generous and those that carry no generosity in their spirit. 
So Jesus talks about how he's going to judge the world and the key to the way he judges the world is the generosity of our hearts. Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. He said, I don't know who you are. You don't carry my DNA. My DNA is generosity. So the fire comes to purge us so we would make offerings of righteousness or generosity. It would flow out of our hearts. So back to Malachi. Verse 4 of chapter 3. Listen to what happens. The result of the offerings going up before the Lord as they've been purged, God begins to judge. Now listen, listen carefully. Verse 4, Malachi 3. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. I will come near to you for judgment. That word judgment is that God will pronounce a verdict, a sentence, a formal decree. He says, I'm going to come now and I'm going to decree in your midst. The fire's come, it's tested you, it's changed you, and now you're giving offerings of generosity before me. You're coming before me in worship and now I'm going to decree over your life, your church and your city. And listen to what he says. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, against those who turn away the alien because they do not fear me. I want you to see here today that as we begin to give unto the Lord and prepare our hearts as an altar before him in generosity, he says, I now am going to step in and I'm going to start decreeing over all the injustice in society. I'm going to come against those that have manipulated and pressed people down. I'm going to judge them that have abused the orphan and the widow and those who are down to their last meal. I'm going to take action against them. And why will I do that? Because the church has come before me and they prepared the altar of their heart with generosity and they've worshipped me and their offering has come up to me and I've seen that offering and I've been a witness to that offering and now I am judging the earth. And we haven't joined the dots between the quality of the altar that presents the gift and God's ability to judge injustice. Is this this comprehending? So we go out there in our placards and all these things, no more abortion, no more this, no more that, signing petitions, all good in their place, I guess, but not realising... And there's a whole movement that's turning the church away from giving of their tithes and offering. And they don't realize that this is a vehicle to release God's judgment on the earth and bring justice to society. Oh, if I get excited because this thing turns me on, it's like, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This is my city. And I have a passion For the body of Christ to understand the power of giving. I feel it in my bones when I go to places and when the offerings take, I can feel the lack of faith. That's my money again. Testimony goes up to heaven. Heavens are shut. And then we go and call a prayer meeting. We're going to pray for a breakthrough. Don't bother. Don't bother. Stay home. Watch TV. You're wasting your time. Because when the offering was taken up, you shut your heart. 
You gave reluctantly and it's gone up to heaven as a witness and God said, no can do, sir. Sorry. You've tied my hands. Our offerings don't just meet needs. They produce sounds of justice in heaven that give God his right to release his passion on the earth. How's that? So when we bring an offering in righteousness, we come into agreement with our Father and we give him a legal right to judge. See, we don't understand. Lots of things have been won at the cross, but to enforce them requires acts of obedience so we come in alignment with his will so he can move on earth. God won't move until earth responds and gets into alignment with God. We say, well, everything was achieved at the cross. Absolutely. Absolutely. The victory was won. But now it has to be enforced. And it's enforced through our acts of worship and obedience to him. The purity of the altar is what sanctifies the gift. Say with me, the purity of the altar altar. is what sanctifies the gift. Well done. So point two. You ready for point two? Good. So we've talked about the altar and making sure that that is established in righteousness. It's so important. The purity of the altar sanctifies the gift. Now we're going to talk about the second part, which is to do with establishing God as head over our finances. And this is the second thing. The power of the gift is that it sanctifies the whole. The power of the gift, our tithe, is that it sanctifies the whole. The purity of the altar sanctifies the gift, the offering. The power of the gift is that it sanctifies the whole. That means everything that's left over. The purity of the altar sanctifies the gift. The power of the gift sanctifies the whole. You getting this? It's all to do with making God's spiritual head. All right. Romans eleven sixteen. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then everything, the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. The principle is this. When the first portion of something is in the right hands, it can never die or run out. Wow. Did you get that? Yeah, Shh, we're in here. Uh, uh, yes? When the first portion is in the right hands, it can never die or run out. When the first portion of something is in the right hands, it can never die or run out. Really? Yeah, really. Prove it. Okay. Elijah and the widow, bring me some of your meal. Bring me some of your meal. What's the word? First. First. Let's say it together. Bring me some of the meal. All right. First. Elijah says, you've only got a little bit left. Bring to me first. I hear these ridiculous statements. You may get offended at this. My thoughts, but this is how I think. Okay? Hear me out. I've heard people say on internet, people's opinions, 
You can't tell people that don't have much money to tithe. Really? Really? How could you? These are Christians. It's like, what Bible are you reading? Are oh, you taking advantage? No, this is not taking advantage. This is, this is, if the first is holy, the rest is holy. Yeah. I grew up like this. Single parent home. We tithe every single week. If the first is holy, everything is holy. Yeah. You see, God's economics are not like yours. He will make sure that when you put him first, that there is an abundant supply that is more than enough. Food will come in. Resources will come in. He will... See, he says, I'm able to make, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, all grace abound to you. I'm able to do it. So that always, having the sufficiency in all things, that sounds pretty good, have an abundance left over for every good work. Have you read that scripture? He's able to make all grace, all of his grace abound to you. So that always, not one week off, having an abundance of all things, you have a leftover supply for every good work. So my mother tithed every week. When the building funds came, she was one of the first to give to that. She was releasing money here, blessing people here on a single parent income because our income wasn't our source. God was our source. When the first fruit is sanctified, everything is sanctified. So our tithe is brought to Jesus And we say, Lord, sanctify this. Make it holy. Peter brings his boat to Jesus. It's a first fruit. Here's another guy that's got nothing. He's on the dole, really. He's got no income, no fish. Fancy of all people, Jesus picking him. It's like finding the poorest person in church and says, you're going to be my source of blessing." First fruit is holy, the rest is holy. Gives him his boat, and what does he get? He gets so much fish, he doesn't know what to do with it. And he calls his partners in their boats overflow. The loaves and the fish. Remember, the boy brings his offering to Jesus, puts it in his hands. The offering changes kingdoms. See, when I bring my money, it's, it's not in God's kingdom yet. It's in the world system. I bring it. And I put it in his kingdom by faith. I said, Lord, this is yours. You own it. Bless it, multiply it, protect it. And so when I bring it to him, the rest of what I own is all sanctified and holy. It's amazing, isn't it? That's what happens in the Bible. That's what he teaches us. It's right, really clever. It's amazing. See, Jesus himself was a first fruit. Think about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. It tells us that he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So in other words, God sowed Jesus as a first fruit and he made the rest of the batch holy. How amazing is that? You should have a good laugh at that. That's awesome. Okay. The tithe establishes God as the spiritual head over all that you are all that you have, and all that you do. It's a covenant relationship with God. It is, I believe, this is, my, this is just my, my belief, I believe it's probably the most powerful spiritual expression that you can have towards Him, creating Him as Lord of your life. You go, well, that, that sounds stupid. 
then why do you have such trouble with it? Why does Jesus talk about money and generosity more than any other subject? Just just a question there. The tithe is precious to God, powerful to mankind, and the devil hates it. He hates it because of all that it represents. That's why he stirs up so much animosity against it. He hates it because it places you under the lordship and spiritual covering of Father with your finances. And he hates it because it represents the blessing that he could never have. That's why he fights it. I want you to look on the screen now because you may have seen this before, but some may not have seen it. This is the word for tithe in the Hebrew. Meza. Meza is the Hebrew word for tithe. You'll notice at the start of this word is the letter M, which is mem in Hebrew. This word mem means from. If you remove mem from meza, meza mean, meaning tithe, if you remove the mem, you get aza. And aza in the Hebrew means wealth and riches. Do you see that? Is that, is that clear to everybody? Aza means wealth and riches. Put an M at the start of Aza, you get Meza, which is tithe. So the tithe, or wealth and riches, comes from the tithe. All the Jews know that. One step further. Have a look at this. If we look at the words Aza, the letters, and every Hebrew letter has profound meaning, a numer- numerical value, and a literal meaning. So look at the letters of Aza. Ayin, to see and experience. Shin is, is the letter for El Shaddai. Remember, El Shaddai is the multi-breasted one. It means he can sustain us in every area of our life. Yes? And Resh means head. So we put this together and we see the one who sees God as El Shaddai, the multi-breasted one, The one that sees God as the head will become rich. They knew this. God entwined this into the word tithe and riches to make you see if you understand that that God is your head, you will experience all his blessing, all his favor, and all his goodness. And for that, we should give him a hand. Now listen to this. The tithe established God as head, spiritual head over the family. When Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, he saw the reality of God as his spiritual head. Melchizedek in in Genesis 14 was a type of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus as our high priest, who, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And as we bring our offerings to our high priest, We see in the life of Melchizedek exactly what Jesus is doing in heaven on our behalf. Does that make sense? This is what Melchizedek did, and we're almost finished. Number one, in Genesis 14, so Abraham comes to Melchizedek to make him spiritual head over his life. Abraham's coming with a tithe. Melchizedek's coming to receive it. So Melchizedek... At the beginning of this transaction, he offers Abraham the communion elements of the bread and the wine. This is a picture of God's undying, unending commitment towards us. 
He's in covenant with us. And he's saying, I will cease to exist before this covenant can be broken. Just think, if you and I got a revelation of that, that as I come into relationship with Father, as I put him first, as I come into this relationship of putting him spiritual head, he said that he will make a covenant with me and he will, he will cease to exist before that covenant will fail to come to pass. Second Timothy, Paul says, if we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot deny himself. He says, once I make a commitment, a covenant that I made with Abraham and to all his seed, to every generation that would follow that we are the children of Abraham and heirs according to the blessing, because we are in Christ, we are the seed of Abraham. And we all the promises that were made to Abraham, that covenant that was made to him, that I will bless you and make you a blessing, that same covenant is alive and active today. And as I come to the Father, he's saying that I'm going to cut a covenant with you. I'm going to administer the bread and the wine, and it's a picture that of my unending commitment to you. I will cease to exist before I will let you down. David said, I've been young and I'm now old. I'm not there yet, but... He says, I've never seen the righteous, that word righteous is connected to generosity, forsaken, and his descendants go begging for bread. I have this fixed understanding and assurance that God has got my back. I cannot fail. I am prosperous and I am on the way up. It's deeply etched in my heart and it's getting stronger every day. And God's confirming it. I'm going to show you in two weeks' time how he's been confirming it. We're going to talk about the hundredfold blessing when I come back. And all the things that God does when we're willing to work with him. And we're willing to let him bless us. Some of you, or some maybe listening today, aren't willing for God to truly bless them. You're hung up. So he receives the... the, uh, that comes to Melchizedek, he gives them the bread and the wine, and he says, this is a commitment to you, Abraham, and to all your seed, that I am utterly dependable in this covenant. Now listen. The second thing is that Abraham gave Melchizedek the tithe. Melchizedek received the tithe. Remember, I shared in the offering message that went a little long last week, about this whole concept of who gets the tithe. The tithe doesn't go to Red Cross. The tithe doesn't go to some charity. And I'm going to talk about giving to the poor, but it doesn't go to any of them. The tithe belongs in your spiritual house. You bring it to the Lord as a sacrifice towards Him. He didn't, he didn't take it to, you know, Joe the, the Hebrew down the road and a, who's, you know, had a bung leg. No, he brought it to Melchizedek, the priest. This is yours, Lord. Because that's the act that sanctifies the whole. If you give your tithe to a vehicle that can't sanctify the rest, you're wasting your time. The give to them, but that doesn't sanctify what you have. What sanctifies what you have is when you bring it to the Lord. So he he received the tithe. Now hold your chairs. You ready? But listen, listen carefully. Don't miss this. Don't turn off. Okay? Promise me just for a few more minutes. Hang in there. Look at that. This is called living within the margins. 
We are in a society where people spend more than they earn. The American government, Australian government, every year, if you go to the debt clock, you know, they say, look at the markets, they're going up. Look at this, unemployment's down. Yes, and look at the debt. Look how much you're spending as like a pseudo-cover for growth and increase. And so that filters down to, to the individuals. We are, I was going to say hopelessly, but it's not hopeless. We are so in debt in this nation as a whole. Our debt goes up and up and up and up and up because we refuse to live within the margins that God commanded. Malachi says, bring all the tithe, tithes, plural, and offering into the storehouse. As he continues on in chapter 3, this is how the, God commanded the Jews to live. Knowing this, that he wanted to use them as a model for all the other nations to observe how God wanted society to function. Yeah. So that we wouldn't be relied upon a government. I don't have time to talk to you about how the government through the Romans stole this whole concept and destroyed it and made people dependent on the government and not on God's system. We are not designed to be sucking on the breast of the government. It's not God's intention. But suck away while you need to and get off it. Look at that. We know a circle in a square is 71, sorry, 78.5% of the square. And God set it up the Jews would live within the margins. That, and this is what he did. He had a, something called Mazer, which was the tithe. And then he had this other word, and it's called uh, Teruma. So I want to make sure I pronounced it right. And this is how he designed the people to live. Depending on how generous you wanted to be, the first fruits of what every Jew gave was this terumah, which was between 2 to 2.5%. And they would give that to their priest, and that would make everything else whole. It was the most sacred offering of all the tithes and offering they brought. They would give that to the priest, right first foremost. After that, they would bring another 10%, so 2.5%, $100, take off 2.5%, $2.50. Okay, so you've got $97.50 left. They would tithe on that amount. And that would go to the storehouse. That's the first tithe. The first one's an offering to the priest. Two and a half, 10%. Under that tithe, they would tithe again another 10% of the $97 and, sorry, uh, 97.50 divided by 10, and you've got 80 something dollars, right? So they would tithe again. But this second tithe, the 10%, would go to them. That's a good tithe, isn't it? Who would like to tithe to themselves? (laughs) What was God saying? You need to make sure that in your life you've built in margin for recreation, entertainment, and saving for the next generation. How would it be if those listening today and those here, if God said, 10%, put it away, don't touch it, don't spend it, don't eat it, what would happen to us? As you count all the tithes, it's approximately 785 or 0.8% left for yourself. That's the circle. It's called living within the margin. And they found as they did this, and sorry, in that second tithe that they tithed to themselves, every third year, they would give that tithe to the poor. 
So in effect, they're giving 3%, 3.3% of their tithe to the poor every week. The poor were taken care of, they were taken care of, the priest was taken care of, the house of God was taken care of, and the rest that they owned multiplied and was blessed. How amazing. Just a thought. Numbers 10 verse 10, the people came and presented their offerings and tithes to the Lord and they would blow a trumpet. Paul says that trumpets are connected with prophecy, doesn't he? He says when you blow a trumpet, you need to make sure it's a clear tune so everyone understands the tune that you're playing. So when we come before the Lord, we, with a clear tune, prophesy over our finances. No, there you go, Lord. But I'm declaring increase. I speak over my life. A hundredfold return is coming to me. Jesus, you promised that. I've left houses. I've left, I've left relationships. I've given up lots of things for your sake in the kingdom. And you said a hundredfold is coming to me in this life and the life to come. You said 30, 60, 100 fold. I prophesied today that you are a good God who delights to bless me. I give this offering as a free will sacrifice. You are worthy. I'm blowing the trumpet now. It's a clear sound, not, you know, oh, I guess it might work. Oh, I'll give this a try. And if it doesn't work, I can try something else. That's not a trumpet. That's a flute. <laughs> Blow it clearly. And then God hears that trumpet. And he begins to speak over all that I have left. See that circle? It's all holy. And somehow he gives me witty inventions and business ideas and places to invest and people to bless me. He prospers me so much that my cup overflows. Well, it couldn't work. It's not, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Of course it doesn't add up. It's a kingdom. It's not mammon's kingdom. It doesn't add up when the widow gives Elijah that first meal. But then it overflows and what she has left is more than enough. It pays all the debts, all the bills and they live off it. It's amazing. And number three, it says that, so the priest Melchizedek, he, he administers the elements of the bread and the wine. Abraham brings the offering and then the priest, it says, he administers the blessing. He speaks over Abraham and he calls him the blessed of the Lord. He proclaims his goodness. There's a sound that comes from heaven and he says justice is coming not just for you, but your family, your church, your workplace, your city. I'm about to move in a powerful way. I have this conviction if we all, we all came together each week and those listening in a live stream and we prepared the altar of our heart. And we made God's spiritual head. And we began to prophesy over our offerings. And we began to declare the goodness of God. We obeyed the ways of the Lord. He would sanctify everything that we owned and so bless it and prosper it that we wouldn't know what to do with it. Really? My God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always you have an abundance for everything. And then left over, you'd have an abundance for every good work. That sounds like pressed down, shaking together, and running out all over. Yeah. Or you can try mammon, scrimp, hoard, save, worry, stress. Or we can try it God's way. Yeah. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Next time I speak, I'm going to talk about what it means to be willing. And I'm not willing to live in poverty anymore. 
I'm willing to be the blessed of the Lord. We're going to talk about the hundredfold increase. That's every believer's right and inheritance.